Well, amen. Uh, you can be opening your Bible uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, we've been in a series out of 1 Peter. And uh, you can get those on our website um, or in the app if you have it. And uh, so uh, you can be turning there. If you're turning in a pew Bible, it's page 1204. And yes, we've been on that same page for a while, but next week we go to 1,205. So uh, go ahead and be opening up to that. And uh, I'm going to read that. I know you just sat down after standing and singing. I do enjoy singing um, uh, without uh, instrumentation, but not all the time. I like both. So that was a, a, a blessed time. And uh, I do know those songs. I sang that one when I was a kid a lot. And that last, that, uh, last hymn we did, as a teenager, I sang in a boys' quartet doing that, which was tragic. But anyway, <laughs> it was fun. But anyhow, if you'll stand back up, I want to read this passage. Uh, I want you to pay close attention, uh, beginning in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, uh, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Would you bow in prayer with me before we begin? Father, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the authority of that name. That everything must bow at that name. Everything must confess Jesus is Lord. And so, Lord, may our preaching and our singing and all that we do here today be in accordance with that. That we do it by the authority of Christ. And we cannot claim that authority if we contradict what you say. So, Lord, open our eyes to behold the wonderful things out of your word, out of your law. That we might uh, hear from you today. Lord, guard me from saying what should not be said. And please, Lord, help me to say what is helpful to the believer, um, helpful to all of us to follow in your will. We thank you for the strength to be here today. We ask you, Lord, to re rebuke Satan for us, rebuke the, the spiritual forces of darkness. Um, Lord, today, uh, it, just we ask you to silence them uh, from speaking into people's minds and hearts. And God, that you would give us victory. We thank you that you are... Uh, the almighty God, there is none like you. And that, Lord, today we can rejoice in knowing you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, y'all can sit down if you, if you want to or if you can. Um, in, this, in this passage, it starts with a difficult word, according to the translation you have. Um, and, and it starts with the word slaves and some in some uh, uh, translations, and that's kind of scary. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but I want to ask you a question this morning, and that is, what is the purpose of work? What is the purpose of labor? And you just answer that in your mind. But 
uh, I, I'm thinking about work that we do in order to earn a living, not just the labor you might do out of love, a hobby or something around your house. But what defines our work? Uh, we talk about hard work. We talk about people being lazy at work. Uh, we talk about being diligent at work or productivity in our work. But the Bible says work is given to us for some very specific reasons. One is to provide for a family. That is, what, that is one of the goals of work and, and included in uh, that. Uh, and also do we provide for our family, but we can provide for ourselves and for others. In 1 Timothy 5 8, he says, if a man doesn't provide for his household, he's worse than an infidel. So God gives us work so that we can provide for our family, but also for our, our own needs sometimes, but for our family's needs. We, we are called to do that. But the problem is God calls us to balance as well. And how do you balance work and everything else? It is kind of warm in here. If we got somebody knows how to turn the air conditioner on, that'd be awesome. Um, we can either worship God through our work or we can worship our work. And what's the difference? Well, if, if work comes before God, obviously that's, that's pretty obvious. But sometimes we make our work our identity, uh, especially if you're a man in here. Um, people ask you, what do you do? And we define ourselves by what we do. And you may not be aware of that unless you've ever lost your job. If you've lost your job, then you understand that feeling of, well, who am I? What, what, what purpose do I have here in, in life? And that's why no matter where we are, we have to make God the purpose of our life. Now, I say this to single people. Are you worshiping God or are you just want to use him to find a mate? You know, are you worshiping your work or are you trusting God to give you what you need? The Bible says in Hebrews that contentment with godliness is great gain. That, that we should be thankful for what God does give us. Doesn't mean we can't have more. Doesn't mean we can't work more or work harder or get a different job. God has rich people and poor people in the Bible that he holds up as heroes, right? And we make the mistake of the Pharisees when we think because somebody's poor, they're worth less. Or that if somebody has more, they're worth more. The fact is, they're just the same. They're sinners in need of the grace of God, Right? And that includes all of us. So let me ask you, if you work too hard, do you routinely take your work home with you? Do you often stay late at work? Or do you continually check your emails or texts if that's part of your work at home? Well, we ought to be careful of that. It, let me give you some words of Jesus just on this. I, I just wanted to put that as kind of a framework around what we're going to talk about. But in Mark 6, 31, you may not have ever read this verse or noticed it. And Jesus said to them, to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For, the Bible says, many were coming and going and they had no leisure even as to eating. Jesus says, you need to take a break. You need to stop. And sometimes we don't understand that rest is important to our labor. Because if you only labored, you'd, you'd die. If you only rest, you're going to die, but you'll die unhealthy. <laughs> you you got to have a balance, right? So I, I want to help us with that today. Well, as I said, this passage starts off with the word slave. Uh, in, in some translations, servant in the ESV that we're using in the Pew Bible there that you have. And, and we, because we're 21st century North Americans, that word has a connotation that makes us 
Ugh, like we don't, we don't like to hear that word. Yet the Bible says we are slaves to Christ. Now the word here uh, is, is a particular form of that word. Because there's two words for servant or slave in the Bible. One is doulos. It's the one we're familiar with. It's the common slave. And that would be the most common kind. But here he uses a different word. And it means house slave. I don't want to uh, say it in Greek because it doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, but just so you understand it. And in the day that Peter is writing this. And in the day of the Bible. You could be voluntarily a slave. You could say, hey, I want to be your slave. Um, and in, in fact, in the Old Testament, they gave a law. If you, if you had a master and you liked it and he liked you and y'all worked out an agreement, you, they put your earlobe against the door and punch a hole in your earlobe. Anybody got pierced ears? Um, anyway, it always sounded horrible to me and I noticed all the women had pierced ears. So I was like, well, okay. But no, this, this term means house slave. And this is a person, often they'd have more education than their master. They'd be the doctor. They'd be the teacher. They, they, they could be a craftsman. Um, and they, they had a lot of skilled positions, but they were still a slave. They served someone else. And the purpose of their life was to do, do the will of their master. See, that's why we are slaves to Christ, to do the will of our master, Right? If God told you to do a certain thing and you do that plus more, are you really glorifying him? When he wants you to do this and he wants you to concentrate on doing that, then that's what you ought to do. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it to the best of your ability. Obviously, you should. But they were to serve their master. They were to do it quickly. They were to do it unreservedly. And they were to do it with all of their effort fully. Well, I want to give you a statement to take home with you. Work is a gift from God, but all of our work ought to be done for Jesus and for ourselves. But Jesus first. Your work is a gift from God. Your position, and so we'll talk about this because we don't own slaves. Do you think slavery doesn't exist? It does. It's a horrible thing going on in our nation today. We are in the midst of a hotbed of it. Uh, we won't say too much about that, but um, you know what I'm talking about. People are caught into the slave trade all the time. And, uh, and the church needs to rise up about that. But we'll come back to that another time. Right now, I need to look at this. So we're going to use this more as a work-boss relationship, okay? And if you are a boss, then you got to just come at it from the other end. How should a, a boss act toward his employees? But we're going to talk about, since most of us are employees, not employers, um, let's talk about it from that point of view mostly. And we want to see what God is doing in our life. First of all, we ought to have a faith-filled submission of our work to our boss. But notice I said faith-filled, not personally motivated. Here in verse uh, 12 and verse uh, 13, I mean, it's not 12, 18 through 19, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good ones, but to the bad ones. So if you substitute the word boss, you say, you don't know what kind of boss I got. Well, it doesn't matter because his character, his personality, his ways of doing things doesn't matter. What matters is, are you obeying Christ? Right? One of the hardest things for anybody to understand, they have to go to counseling sometimes for somebody to point this out to them, is you can't control anybody else. Do you know that? What do we like to say sometimes, a husband or wife or a friend? 
we like to say, you made me mad. And we're not using that in the English, you know, like crazy. You make me angry. No, they didn't make you angry. You decided to be angry about what they did or said. You own up, you own yourself. You don't own them. And if they are wrong, that's up to God to take care of that. Your job is to react in a godly way to the situation. Right? You with me? So, he says here, be subject for the Lord's sake. In verse 13. In verse 18, be subject to your masters with all respect. That's what we're called to do. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. Notice this. God gives you grace when you do that. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So if, if you are being wronged and you smile and obey the will of God because God put you in a place. I, 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 there's a modern phrase I really like. But did you die? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that. People say, oh, this and this happened. And then, you know, and, and especially somebody's just complained to you about something silly. When they're finished, she's just like, I'm going, but did you die? It's okay, man. It was just, it was just a little inconvenience. It was a little bit of bad. We, we are called to respect in the fear of God those that are in authority over us. So, what is your attitude at work is the real question. Uh, what is your attitude toward your work and your boss? Um, Sometimes there are some general attitudes that we people have at work. And so if people do some things at work that maybe you shouldn't do. Let me, let me give you some examples. Uh, this doesn't cover all. If I don't hit yours and God tells you one that I don't say, take that from the Lord. Okay, take these from the Lord. Do you ever exaggerate when someone else makes a mistake? Do you try to make sure they get all the blame and none of the blame is shared? Do you, do you ever step, what you ought to do is step in and help if a mistake has been made. Do, do you speak ill of other employees or spread rumors about them? Do you talk about them behind their back? Are you backbiting the manager to other co-workers or the boss? That's not a godly thing to do. It's never godly to gossip or backbite or speak ill of others. Never, you never accept any criticism of your work and you don't own up to your own mistakes. And you don't compliment others who do hard work. You know, remember they came to John the Baptist and said, everybody's going after Jesus. He said, good. I'm the friend of the bridegroom and I rejoice when he succeeds. Right? We're supposed to rejoice when others, uh, God blesses them. And so, many of us are wrapped up in our job. We just... Totally wrapped up. So if you are, you need to step outside of that, these attitudes and submit to the leadership under the authority of Christ. And give God room to work. Give God room to do something about it. If you're, if you're truly praying, say, Lord, I'm going to give it my best. But you know the trouble I'm having. He may change your attitude, which may change their attitude. Many times, other people will read off of you. And God will take care of that. Secondly, we have to have a faith-filled suffering. We talked about a faith-filled submission, but we're going to suffer. And so that's verses 20 to 23. We've already read it. Suffering is the will of God if, and, and if suffering for doing right. If we suffer for doing right, there's nothing we can do about that. When you do wrong, you ought to suffer. 
You will suffer. Sometimes you suffer for doing right. How you accept that is your witness to others about the grace of God in you. Uh, there are types of suffering that bring the favor, the grace of God. And when you suffer unlawfully or wrongly, God gives you grace in that suffering. The Apostle Paul wrote about that. He said that he had a, a messenger from Satan. He called it a thorn in his flesh. That I always hit my side. I don't know why I used to say in the side, but I think the Bible just says in his flesh. That he had a thorn and, and he asked God three times to remove it. And the third time God says, no, I will give you grace to handle it. Do you know that is an answer to prayer? God, make, God calls some people to suffer for a long time. If you don't believe that, that means you never left America and seen Christians in other countries. Because there's plenty of places you can go in this world where Christians suffer just because they're Christians. And it's wrong and it's unjust. And they suffer with joy. I, when our kids were little, we would require obedience. But we would not allow grudging obedience. No, you're going to obey and you're going to be happy about it. Show some joy. This is going to be good for you. We, 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 some people never learn that, and some people know it, but don't ever practice it. I, 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 my very first church I ever served, I had a guy in there, and he said someone walked up to him at work one day, because he used to be a rounder, and he got saved, gloriously saved. And he said, somebody came up to him and said, I'm interested in Christ because I've been watching you, and I see how when things go wrong for you, how you handle it. Do you realize people are watching you? You, you lose your temper. <clears throat> Sorry. You do things that you shouldn't do. And then somebody says, I thought you were a member down there at Calvary. I thought you were a believer. What, what testimony are you showing people? You see, it says the example is in Christ and the way he suffered. In, in, in verse 20, what credit is if you suffer for doing wrong? In verse 21, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. What does it say? You can quote it with me. Like a sheep before his shearers is silent, so is Jesus before his accusers. He only answered when they put him under oath. They said, I, the, the, the chief priest said, I adjure you by the living God. He, in other words, it's like taking an oath in the court. I swear to tell truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I command you, are you the Christ? And he said, you said it. It's the only answer he gave uh, to his inquisitors. And it's, his example is found in the way he suffered and that he did suffer. You know, talk about songs we used to sing. You know, he could have called 10,000 angels. The Bible tells us he could have called down heaven's army and destroyed everything. And he would have been just and right to do it, but that wasn't his will. He willingly went to the cross for us. And his response to suffering is our example. In fact, in Philippians it says, given to you not only to know the power of his name, but to have the fellowship of his suffering. We're supposed to suffer along with him. And then we have to have a faith-filled life. In verse 24 and 25, he, he says, and and really all the way he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you've been healed for you were straying like sheep but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls Jesus did not die 
only for our sins. He died so that we could look like him. Right? Right? You do know the Bible says that? That we are being conformed into his image? We're supposed to look like Jesus. Now, I think all of us have a long way to go. I was in Sunday school this morning, and, and Brother Joe was, was teaching back there. And not, he wasn't teaching back there. Brother Joe back there was teaching. That's what I meant to say. And, and boy, I love the way he opened it, because I really identify with it. He said, boy, this morning I had that horrible time of day when I get out of bed, and the first thing I do is look in the mirror. <laughs> I was like, amen, brother. That's right. You know, you just, everything's messed up. You're groggy. It's like, oh. You know, a lot of people get up going, oh, good Lord, morning, instead of saying, good morning, Lord. You know, uh, it's according to your attitude, how you approach that. But Jesus died not just to save us from our sins so we go to heaven, but he died so we could be changed now. That we could look like him here. And it takes the grace of God and the presence of the Spirit of God. And Galatians tells us that if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that is... To give in to our desires that are here on this world. Notice that we were straying like sheep, it says in these verses. You see, Jesus came to suffer and bring us to God. Do you really believe that? Do, do you actually believe the gospel? That when you bow the knee before Jesus Christ, he will radically change your life. You won't be the same. Because... He wants to kill what we were in Adam. He puts to death that old nature and he puts his new nature in us. And we begin to grow in looking more and more like Jesus. And if that is really happening, if you really believe that and that's really happening in your life, you can have your hope that whatever comes is in the will of God and is precious in God's sight and he will take care of it. You see, there's coming a day. I, I don't know if I heard somebody else say this. I'm sure I did. But I say it about a lot of things. Because, I, listen, I know who the biggest whiner in the church is. That's me, okay? I, I get that, you know. You could ask me anytime. You want a little cheese with that wine, you know? And some of us just don't understand the 11th commandment. Quit your belly aching, right? And thou shalt not complain. But if we believe that God can change our life, then we will see that that's happening. We will understand that all the things that come to us that is not good. Uh, Brother Joe this morning used another great term, sandpaper. It shaves off some rough edges on us. God uses suffering to develop in us. What does the Bible say about Jesus in Hebrews? Though he were the son of God, he... It says in the King James, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. What it meant was he experienced obedience. That word learned back then would mean you experience it so you can speak from experience. He, he experienced suffering in his obedience. And we're to do the same. We experience obedience to God. God sees in a reward in the saying, I I'd like to say a lot is that's what heaven's for. When I start whining, when I start complaining, or when I, why don't I, you know, why God didn't you do this or why God didn't you do that? The answer is that's what heaven's for. You cannot possibly have everything, experience everything in this lifetime. Did you know that? Did you know when you say yes to one thing, you said no to a whole lot of other things? And if you're a person who sees all those possibilities, it frustrates you because you can't get to everything. 
Well, you've got plenty of time once you're in heaven. And in fact, you might not even care about some of those things you care about now when you're in heaven. We like to talk about, so when I get to heaven, I'll be so glad to see my mom and dad. Well, I'm sure I will, but I'm going to be more glad to see Jesus. Right? He is the point. He is the one we worship. He is the reason for our belief in God. Francis Schaeffer, uh, if you don't know him, he's with the Lord. And back in the 70s and 80s, he was an a, a author, philosopher. He uh, was way into really deep thinking about God. Wrote a book, uh, How Shall We Then Live? Talking about if the world's the way it is, how should we live in it? Uh, I, I, man, you try to read his books, you got to read them several, you know, you read a sentence and then stop and have to get out of the dictionary and reread it. But here's what he said. When unbelievers see a Christian wronged and see them respond with threats and anger, how can they see the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world? But when we see love returned for injustice and patient endurance in the face of unjust suffering, they see a glimpse of the wounds of Christ by which the world is healed. Ultimately, our call to endure unjust suffering is a call to show the worth of God. But it is also to call the lost to follow us as we follow the pattern and the footprint of our crucified Lord. That's powerful. That is a powerful statement. And right there in the text. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. Did he deserve to die? No. Why did he die? People say, who killed Jesus? The Romans? The Jews? No, you did. Your sin made his crucifixion necessary if we're going to go to heaven. And thank God it was his will that we would go to heaven. Because he could have said, fine, have it your way. Wait, isn't that the philosophy of the world? Have it your way? Well, when you want your way, that's where you're headed. When you want his way, the road is narrow. The path is difficult. But he's a companion on that road, and it ends in heaven. And so this last verse, just again, says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What can you do this week? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. First of all, you ought to be willing to submit with an attitude of working for Christ. You're not working for your boss. You're not working for a company. You're not even working for yourself. You're working for Christ. And in all of your job, you ought to do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. No matter what it is you're doing, if you are mopping the floor, you're mopping the floor so when Jesus walks on it, he says, wow, that's a clean floor. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but that'll revolutionize your attitude toward your work. Be willing to suffer, secondly, with an attitude of working for Christ. Be willing to submit, be willing to suffer, and be willing to live with an attitude of working for Christ. So we suffer, we submit, and we live as unto Christ.